morning, everybody. I don't need this. Put this down. How's everyone doing today? Good. It's great to see everybody. I'm starting a little uh, series here. Um, the topic is, and the idea around the series is, if you ever had a bad experience going to church, especially when you were young, especially when you were young and you were looking, kind of, you were kind of open to God, and then you went somewhere, and then you're like, I'm not open anymore. <laughs> you know, um, last fall I had, a, I had a talk with this Harvest Festival, and I ran into uh, a, someone who was visiting church. She's a, a fine young woman, and she's a mom, and she's married. And, uh, you know, she's told me, hey, I said, hey, how, how you like it? How's everything going? She's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm really enjoying myself. I, you know, my husband wa was, wanted to come, and he was invited here, and I've been coming to support him. I've been doing it for him. And I was like, gunk, okay. <laughs> and she says, but now I'm coming for me. Now I'm coming for myself. And I thought, that's what, that's what it's supposed to be like. When you come and you have an experience that, go, that goes, man, I want to come back. Man, that was awesome. Man, it wasn't what I expected. And that kind of experience I wanted to share with you. Because when you have a certain experience, you know, parents went through this when they first entered the text, texting world, the acronyms. Uh, my daughter's is, my daughter's, uh, you know, she, she texts her friends and sometimes I peek at some of the acronyms. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, uh, you know you, and as parents, you, you enter that world, you're like, what are they saying to each other? <laughs> a mom texts uh, to her daughter, um, you know, your great aunt just passed away. You know, uh, LOL. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> or to her son, she writes, or to her daughter. She, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the daughter writes back, why is that funny? She texts back, it's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Mom writes, oh, I thought it meant lots of love. I, I have to call everyone back. You know, there's so many experiences when you enter going, I didn't even want to get into the texting world. So I'm going, ah, I don't want to mess up. You know, I have autocorrect, and sometimes I'm like, whoa, that's not what I meant to say. Go back, go back, and I can't. It's too late. I didn't read it. I didn't proofread it. I'm in the habit of proofreading my text. Now, what did I, oh, I didn't write, that's not, no, that's, I didn't, serial detail, what, how, I mean, these big fat thumbs yeah. can ruin my life. And I'm just curious, now you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm curious how many of you have had a family member that had a, a bad experience with organized religion to the point where they walked away from church or had a difficult time coming back. Many years ago, I met a guy who says, you know, I'm here at your church, but I don't believe in organized religion. And I didn't even know how to respond to that. In my, thought, in my mind, I thought, does that mean he likes disorganized religion? I, I, didn't, I didn't even know how to like react to like, or relate or comprehend. Or, I didn't even know how to enter the conversation. I just felt stumped. What do I do when someone tells you like, I don't want to get involved with organized religion. And religion is under attack. And understandably so. Religion has brought about its own demise. Religion has been the fuel 
beyond every imaginable human rights violation. From the, the Jewish taking over the land in the Old Testament. You read that. How do you explain that? Or the Christian Crusades butchering thousands and thousands just to have the city of Jerusalem. This is 1000 AD. This is after Jesus. To the Middle Ages, the Spanish Inquisition, killing scientists for believing that the, the universe doesn't revolve around the earth. This is what religion has done to Muslim extremists, to cults today. Words like child abuse in religion, abuse of women, genocide, torturing people to get them to announce trivial religious practices, torturing scientists, burning heretics, saying, God wills it. Gee, are you trying to help people become, believe in Jesus? Yes, I'm getting to a point, believe me. But I just want to speak to the reality of what has happened. Because you can't ignore the reality of what has occurred in religion and what it's done to many, many people, especially the young men and women today. They look at religion going, I don't want that. Understandably so. God wills it has been used to feel murder, torture, rape, abuse. All on, on every single major religion is guilty. You know, in the United States, religion and Christianity specifically is equated with arrogance and intolerance. Why? Well, Christians think that we're right and everybody else is wrong. If you get down to it, that's what we think sometimes. Like, that's right. What's wrong with that? The Bible says so. <laughs> Christians can think we're morally superior, morally and ethically. So there's a judgment. Christians are against everything. Especially gay people. In hindsight, when evil or intolerance is perpetrated in the name of religion, the issue is power. The issue is control. The issue is dominance. That's what religion does. It's an attempt to manipulate for the glory or pleasure of a religious icon, whether it's a king, whether it's a pope, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a priest, whether it's a cleric, whether it's an imam. Religion can have that. Where somebody wants to sell you something. Buy this book. Wear this shirt. Wear this hat. And the issue is never really about God's righteousness or his glory. Though religious leaders hide behind that. And you may have experienced that. And that may be why you or someone you know has avoided your invitation to church. Have avoided your invitation to know God. They equate God with religion and its history. And it's a dark history. It's a shameful history. It's an embarrassing history that today we have to explain. But first we have to acknowledge that those atrocities did occur. That's number one. But in spite of all that, religion won't go away. I just told you the history and religion still won't go away. You'd think it'd be done, but it won't go away. Here's why. Because people have an insatiable hunger 
to know who God is. And they want to know if God has revealed himself, if he can be known, or if he really knows my name. We have a hunger to understand the connection between the seen world and the unseen world. We want to know. Just go on YouTube. There's millions and millions of hits. Was that a ghost? What was that? One across the street. What is this? Whoa, that's creepy. Share. <laughs> we have an insatiable. Is there another dimension? Is there another world? What else is out there that I don't see? We know there's more to life than what we see. And we sense that. That's why religion doesn't die. And I'm not advocating for religion. I'm advocating against religion. Because there's something far greater, far better than religion. When we have an insatiable desire to find purpose behind everything that happens, we start connecting the dots. Like I started thinking about my granddad on my dad's side, who I never met, died of tuberculosis. Was a principal of a school in Ecuador, in Quito. Did I say that right, Quito? I'm working on my Spanish. Because I'm a coconut. <laughs> so my granddad, you know, he's, you know, and my grandma sends my dad to America at 18. Just no language, just get over there. He had a sponsor, came over, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And my dad at 18 meets my, my mom. Two weeks, two weeks later, they're married, almost 50 years. I'm born. I almost got killed by a car when I was seven. I go, why didn't I live? I should have died. I jumped out in the middle. The car just stopped. Happened again at uh, 19. Should have died in a car crash. I didn't. I'm like, why? Why? And I'm like, because God wanted me to be a Christian. And you start, you start equating everything in your life to something else, something bigger, something powerful working, and you, you're not realizing it. You start doing that. Why did this happen to me? Is an assumption that there's a power that orders the universe. Something. Everything happens for a reason. We want to know where we stand. We'll believe or pursue just about anyone who speaks authoritatively in the name of God. Even listen to goofy stuff. Like really, really lame spiritual things. We're going, how do people believe that? That's goofy. People are like, I will, I will heal you of your, of your, of your, your legs. Are you crippled? I'll touch you in your walk. Why aren't they at the hospital? <laughs> I'll heal you of your cancer. You know, stage four centers over there in LA. We could use your help. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. That's just, just, just it's so illogical. But thousands and thousands of people pour millions and millions of dollars and you just look at going, something's not right there. But it's an insatiable hunger to know if God might be working there. And it's really goofy. And then there's Jesus. I would say Christianity, but it's got so much baggage attached to that name. I would say Jesus. You don't find any drama associated 
with religion when you hear the name Jesus. He was intolerant of religious hypocrisy. He never leveraged violence to further his message. He didn't leverage Old Testament war language to instigate a rebellion against Rome. What he did instead was he leveraged his power for the powerless. He leveraged his power for the sinner. He leveraged his power for the sick. He came to serve, not to be served. And anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus would be characterized by the very same things. Are you recognized as one who serves? Christian follower? Or are you recognized as someone that wants to be served? Religion wants to be served. Jesus came to serve. So there's a story in the Bible. If you look with me in Acts chapter 26, I'll put it on the board for you. I want to show you a few things, a few pictures that just will kind of ring true what I'm saying. When the Bible's harnessed in religion, it wants power. The people in charge of the Bible want the control. So they take up the sword to do that. They do that. And they do it. And it's throughout history, you can see, you know, incredible pictorial graphs of war. In the first century, there, there was a man, a guy, who was a re- religious zealot. This man in the Bible, he did ISIS-type things. This man who I'm going to tell you about, In the modern language, he did Taliban stuff, ISIS stuff that led him to do those things because of religion. And then he lost his religion. And then he became a follower of Jesus. Before there was ever a thing called Christian or a thing called church. It's a story of Paul. If you're Jewish, you know him as Saul. And he was in Jerusalem. And he, and he was a follower of Jesus. And he was recognized by a group of Jews who viewed him as a threat to Judaism. Remember, religion, control, power, dominance. And they began accusing him publicly. And they dragged him out of the temple. And they were going to kill him in God's name. And the Roman soldiers came to the rescue. They thought he was a revolutionary. So they took him in. They realized he was a Roman citizen. They just couldn't arrest him. But they know they couldn't put him out on the streets. So they kept him for a little while. And the guy in charge was named King Agrippa. And he was the grandson of King Herod who killed all the little kids when Jesus was born. And he's in front of King Agrippa because they can't put him on the street just yet because it's too crazy. He's, he's a Roman citizen. They, he, he's not arrestable. He didn't do anything that was like arrestable. So they're like, okay, hey, just talk to us. And so here's an account from a religious zealot. And his experience with being in a religion and then coming to realize who Jesus is. That's the background of this account. And he begins by telling him 
that Agrippa, that he, Saul, was a good Jew. He was actually a Pharisee. And he thought this Jesus cult should be eradicated. Religion. And he was polluting Judaism. And here's his version as he reflects to King Agrippa or the governor of Agrippa. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that this and that this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, they, meaning more than one, I cast my vote against them. There it is, in the name of God. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to the other to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. What does ISIS do today? They hunt you down. This was a... And what is that? It's a religion. What do they want? Power. Control. Dominance. That's what they want. And that's what religion does to you. It gives you a bad taste in your mouth. But this was Saul. He was doing it. Paul ended up planting churches all over Europe and wrote, and wrote half the New Testament. You're like, what? Something happened. Something happened to him. And here's the explanation. Here's what he says. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a, it's a saying that me, it means resistance is futile. Uh, the goad is a lar, lar, long, sharp metal um, pull and it's used to prod animals so you try to kick back you can never reach the person prodding you at a distance it's futile what are you doing this is his story this is a man who hunts down people cast their vote against them for their death and he says this this is kind of crazy story like I was going down the road all of a sudden boosh floodlights but I'm going like, that sounds kind of, someone told me three, like Jesus, I was praying that the light fell on me today. I'd be like, you need to go, you know, maybe you need to talk to someone about that. Not, not me. Because I don't know this person, but this is what Saul was doing. Something so radical changed him. So I believe that story. How else do you explain him planting churches all over Europe and writing half the New Testament how do you explain that transformation? And then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So that, here's the point. Here's the transformation. Here's how Paul changed. Here's how he was able to see darkness to light. So that they may receive forgiveness. Why are people having an insatiable hunger for God? Because they do not know what to do with the guilt. They have no idea what to do with it. They try to drink it away. They drug it away. They try to ignore it. But they cannot. And here's is what Jesus wants us to understand. It's the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. <clears throat> Ever find yourself religion? I found myself doing this. I, I was trying to fit into a group in their way of thinking and behaving. When I was growing up, that was my experience. Oh, I have, to wear this. I have to wear this to church. Act this way. Be quiet. Stand still. Get up. Hello, neighbor. Sit up. Stand still. And leave. That was my experience. Trying to fit in. And do a way of thinking and behaving. Wear this. Say that. No, no. Say it like this. No, it's not. No. Say the creed this way. Okay, okay, I'll fit in. Christianity is about fitting in with God. Which is why it doesn't begin with doing something. But it begins with receiving something. And that's forgiveness. What puts us at odds with God is unforgiven sin. It all begins with forgiveness. That's what changed the situation with Saul. Jesus has this insight or, or we got this insight from Jesus is that religion often exists to control you. Jesus came to restore you. Restore you from a bad experience. Restore you from the bitterness that you felt when the person that was supposed to love you didn't. Not from the outside in by giving you a list of things, a hat to wear, a tie to wear, a coat to wear, but from the inside out by forgiving you of your sin and cleaning out all that junk that lurks in our hearts. And Jesus answered the question your soul asks, who is God? He says, Father. Has he revealed himself? Jesus says, yes, in me. Does he know my name? And if he knows your sin, he knows your name. <laughs> if he offers to forgive you, he'll forgive you by name. 
You know, the band's going to be up in a few minutes to close us out in a song. And I wanted us to close out with, with some thoughts for you to think about. If you've given up on religion or continue to bounce around from religion to religion trying to get one of those three questions answered, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Move in His direction. Because our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus came to do. This is the, why the story is so powerful. Because he restores Paul from his experience and being in a religion that wanted power, dominance, and control. Because what Jesus came to do was to offer an, you an invitation of restoration. Religion wants to control you. Jesus came to restore you. Thanks for your time. Can you sing one last song?